eight days from now. And for some of you, that's terrifying because there's so much you have to do, right? Something that I hear people greet one another with at this time of year is, hey, are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas, right? Uh, not Merry Christmas, are you ready? Like we're getting ready for the apocalypse, right? Like there's all of this work that has to be done. There's a lot of pressure that's put on Christmas morning. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of wrapping and decorating. And wherever you're at in that journey, Christmas morning is going to come. And suddenly those children or those grandchildren that you have not been able to wake up all school year will suddenly become morning people. And they will be raring to go on Christmas morning. And they'll probably be the ones waking you up, ready to go. They'll say, wake up. It's Christmas morning. There's a similar thing that happens here in Isaiah 60, where this passage of Scripture starts with, Arise, wake up, wake up. This is a prophecy that Isaiah gets to write, and he is writing it like the ones that we've already read uh, this morning in the service in Isaiah 35. He's writing it to a group of people who are in the middle of darkness. They're facing hardship. They're exiles. They're people who they have faced punishment from God because they turned their back on God who gave them the land that they lived in and they're conquered by the Assyrians who are then conquered by the Babylonians. And what the Assyrians and Babylonians had figured out is the best way to keep a nation that you've conquered from rebelling against you is to take a good portion of the people and disperse them into your own lands. And that way they're not able to form an army. They're not able to amass momentum in rebellion against you. You've got them scattered all across your land. And then you can use them as your slaves and they can help produce more food and crops in your economy. And so there are all of these Israelites who have been carried away as captives. And they're in captivity in Babylon. And if you read Psalm 137, it's this song about people who are in captivity along the rivers of Babylon. And there they're singing, how can we be joyful? How can we, how can we sing songs of gladness when we are in the middle of this darkness? How can we sing songs of goodness when we are not in Zion? How can we sing of home when we're not home? We're in the darkness. We're exiled. And friends, we can relate to those people this morning because this world is not our home. This world is off. It's not right. It's not where we're intended to be. It's not where we were meant to be. And we, like those people who have been carried away as captives, we find ourselves surrounded, as it were, by dark enemy forces. So how can we sing? And some of you, man, this is where you're at this Christmas. How can I be excited? And maybe you're putting on a brave face for the kids or for the grandkids, right? You're putting on a brave face at work because everybody's so cheery and you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. I wish everybody would knock it off because I am so miserable. Are you familiar with that, the, the Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? There are old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace with goodwill toward men. And the bells are ringing. I typically here there's the high peace on earth. Like a choir they're singing peace on earth. In my heart I hear them peace on earth, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Before this was a song, it was a, a poem written by 
Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he wrote it around Christmas in 1863. And what had happened in 1863 is that his son, against his wishes, had gone and joined the Union Army to fight in the Civil War. His son felt like it was his duty to help preserve their nation, that all of his buddies were joining the army, that he should too. And so Longfellow tried to convince him not to, and eventually his son went and joined the army against his wishes. He did that in March of 1863, and it wasn't long before he was serving as a lieutenant in the Union Army. And then not long after that, in November, in a battle in the Civil War, he was critically wounded. He would eventually survive, but around Christmas of 1863, it was touch and go. And Longfellow didn't know if his son would live. And there are lines in that poem that didn't make it into the song that say, Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the harsh stones of contentment and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Longfellow goes on to write words that are included in the song. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men. But that song ends on a high note because it goes to say, then pilled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Isaiah lives in a time of exile, but he gets to look forward to the day of Jesus' arrival. He gets to prophesy of the highway that Andy read about. He gets to prophesy of the coming Savior, of the coming day when the darkness is pushed back and peace comes to earth and goodwill is given to men. In Isaiah 60, we have another one of Isaiah's prophecies to the Jewish people in this time period. And he's telling them how they'll be able to rejoice when that highway has arrived, when Christ has come, when the Messiah has arrived. And so let's look at that in Isaiah 60 and verses 1 to 3. Arise, wake up, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, Darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah says it's dark, but the light is coming. The light that is so bright that it will bring the nations of the world. That kings from far away will come to this light. You know, when we come to Christmas, there's a lot of traditions that center around light. Right now, in your home, most likely, there's a tree that you've put what on? Light. You drive home, you'll see homes that are lit up. They've got lights put on them. 
There are companies that, that all they do is they put lights on people's houses for a couple months a year. I've, I've always wondered if they charge double to take them down afterwards. On Christmas Eve, we'll celebrate by candlelight. We read in the Christmas story that Jesus is born in Bethlehem and there are wise men, kings from the Far East who are drawn by this star. The night that Jesus is born, the glory of the Lord shines over shepherds just outside of Bethlehem. It's all a celebration of the light showing up in darkness. And when Jesus' close friend John would write a biography about his life, he would open it by saying, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. Christmas is a celebration of light and the darkness because Jesus Christ is the light that showed up in the darkness. And it's for that reason that Isaiah proclaims to the Jews and to us, Wake up! Arise! Shine! Your light has come. And in Luke chapter 2, turn there if you haven't made your way there, way there yet. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the arrival of that light. We have the fulfillment of the promise that Isaiah made hundreds of years before. Luke chapter 2, in the beginning, I hope that you'll read all of this when you get together with your family this Christmas. But we're going to start in verse 8 that tells us what happens right after Jesus is born. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, were greatly afraid. If you are familiar with the King James Version of this, or Linus's <coughs> recitation of this in a Charlie Brown Christmas, you know that it says, sore afraid. And the two words there are big and scared. They were big scared. They were majorly afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made known widely the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen 
as it was told them. We've made it pretty clear this morning that Advent is about joy and light showing up in the darkness. And perhaps this morning you can easily grab a hold of the idea that our world is dark. Perhaps this week you've had reminders, as I have had, that the world is broken. Just this week, my wife came to me and showed me video of a friend of ours, someone that we knew in college. Tony is his name. Tony is very sick. He has sickle cell anemia. And he's younger than me. He's on life support right now. And his wife posted this video of, of him shaking, just violently in pain as he's battling this disease. And his wife, they're, they're going to look at an MRI tomorrow, and she's going to have to make a decision about whether they continue life support or not. And listen, it doesn't matter how beautiful the decorations are or how, how pretty the wrapping is. You see something like that, and it's clear, man, this isn't how it's supposed to be. This world is so messed up. This isn't what God wanted for us. And each of us could tell a story similar in our own families or in our circle of friends of someone who is is sick, is broken, is struggling, barely hanging on, physically or emotionally. You say, in that context, how can we have this joy that is talked about in this passage of Scripture? How can we arise and shine? It's all we can do to bring ourselves out of bed in the morning, much less have this shining, joyful countenance. How can we arise and shine? This morning I want to show you how you can have that joy. How you can grab a hold of this light in the darkness. How you can have this joy in the face of hardship and adversity. And the first step towards joy is to notice. Is to pay attention. Is to wake up. This feels like an appropriate command that Isaiah gives them. It's an appropriate command when the angel shows up to the angels, or the angel shows up to the shepherds and says, Behold. I feel like it's an appropriate command now because I drive through town and I see homes that are decorated with those lights and Christmas trees in windows and there's Christmas music playing in stores and in gas stations even, but people are just walking through life not knowing what the real reason for all of it is. They're going through the motions of the Christmas celebration. It's like we've all come together to celebrate the same holiday, but we're celebrating it so differently. Some of us are just absolutely asleep to what this means. And it's not just for those who are celebrating in our community and don't know Jesus. It's even for those of us who gather here this morning and call Jesus our Savior, and yet we slumber. We've come in here physically awake, but spiritually asleep. Isaiah says to us, like he said to them, arise, wake up, notice, see. Do you see what it is that Jesus has done for you? And for Isaiah, he's telling it to people that have not yet seen it. They're hoping in one day this will come. But you and I, we have this joy, this pleasure, this benefit that we are not looking for the one day that will happen, but rather we get to look back on the Jesus who has already come who has already made that difference, that light that has already arrived and has already begun to dispel the darkness. 
And yes, there is still darkness all around us. And yes, there's still sickness and disease and heartache, but we can see Jesus pushing it back. And it gives us hope for that final day when he will make it all bright, all new. Sometimes I stand up here and I feel like a child on Christmas morning that I want to say to you, wake up. Do you see the gift that Jesus has given us? It is wrapped. It is ready. Open it up. Notice the first step to getting a hold of this joy, to grabbing the light in the middle of this darkness is to notice it, to grab hold of it. The second step is to hear well. For those of you who are married or or in a relationship, you have no doubt said something along the lines of, "Uh, we've talked about this, or remember I told you, right? And the other person's like, I have no recollection of this. We've never had a conversation about this in my life. And what often happens in my marriage, Nicole will say, remember we talked about this, and eventually it starts to come back to me. Yeah, I have some foggy recollection of some conversation about that. And yes, I was listening, but I wasn't listening well. Because I didn't really think it through. I didn't think through what that meant. Yeah, I know you told me this thing was happening, but I didn't really think about when that would be on the calendar or all the things I was supposed to do to be ready for it. And Yeah, I, I know you told me, but I'm very surprised right now. <laughs> Tim Keller makes this really great point in his book, Hidden Christmas, that some people get an angel, but most get a shepherd. There are a few people in the Christmas story that an angel shows up to them and tells them this important message. And when an angel shows up, it's not hard to pay attention. Right? Notice what it is that the angel says. Every time an angel shows up in in the entirety of the Christmas story, the very first thing that the angel has to say is, don't be afraid. Don't panic. Because seeing an angel is terrifying. And that terror makes us pay attention. That fear causes us to wake up. That element of fear causes us to pay attention. But not everyone gets an angel. Not not everyone lives in the time of Christ. and Not everyone has an angel show up over their flock of sheep. Or in their room. Most people who heard about the Christmas story heard about it that night from a shepherd. An ordinary shepherd. And if you've attended Christmas services, you know that shepherds weren't the scholars of their day. They weren't the impressive, powerful people. They were ordinary blue-collar workers that smelled like sheep because they slept out in the fields with their sheep. They weren't welcome into a lot of the places that really powerful people would be. They're just ordinary people. Today we'd call them blue-collar workers or maybe essential workers. In our world today, just like back then, there's there's a love for fame and power. There's a love for impressiveness. I was reminded this week again just how crazy some church services are at Christmas time. I was, I was watching video of a rehearsal of this 
huge mega church. They're preparing for their Christmas services, and there's people hanging from cables. And guys, there's not going to be any of that on Christmas Eve. I'm sorry. Even if we could get the cables that would hold me, I don't know if the building could handle it. You know, it's just not a good idea. That's that's not who we are. We're just ordinary people here. More of a shepherd church. But thankfully, the power of the message doesn't depend on the impressiveness or the power of the delivery mechanism. The truth that Jesus Christ had arrived, that the Messiah was here, it was just as true whether you heard that on the lips of an angel or a shepherd. You know, it's interesting. Mary had an angelic messenger. An angel appeared to Mary and told her, but it's here after the shepherds come and visit she and Joseph and the baby and then go out. It's here that we are told that Mary keeps all of these things in her heart and ponders them. In fact, she set as a contrast, Luke sets her as a contrast to those who marvel. Look at verses 17 to 19 with me. Now when they had seen him, these are the shepherds, they see Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They go out and they tell a bunch of people. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Can I tell you? Listen, hear this, okay? Keeping and pondering is better than marveling. People are wowed all of the time. And that marvel and that wow makes no difference in their life. But if there's something that you keep hold of, that you grab hold of, and you ponder it, you consider it, it will change you. Listen, we live in exciting times. We live in a time where... This afternoon, you can watch a thousand videos, about 18 seconds long, that are incredible. And they won't do anything in your life except waste your time. You don't need to be wild. You don't need to be marveled. You need something that resonates and you, that sticks and makes a difference. This word here that Mary kept all these things, it, it literally means to preserve like you'd preserve the vegetables from your garden. You'd can them. Or you'd freeze that meat from that deer. You're preserving it for later. It means to hold on to it. It wasn't something that just faded or wasted away. It remained. And we believe that the reason we have this great detail of Jesus' birth here is that Luke, when he went to write his gospel story of Jesus' life, and he interviewed the people who were there, he was able to interview Mary, to talk to Mary, and get all of these details that you and I read every Christmas because Mary kept all these things. She treasured these moments like any mother treasures the moments of when her child is born. What Mary's doing is she's not allowing this to be something that she hears and then is gone. Just fades away into the ether. 
This week, a group of pastors I'm in, we were talking about how preaching Christmas messages every week, it can be a little difficult to preach the or preach Christmas messages every year. It can be a little difficult to preach the same Christmas story every year and not just to feel repetitive. And being the encourager that I am, I said, guys, if it helps, I don't think your people remember what you preached last week, much less what you preached last year. <laughs> Truth is, our minds are like a river. There's this constant flow of information, this constant flow of stuff and news and events, and our culture has made it to where that flow never stops. And something that floats by, if you don't grab it and plant it on firm ground, it'll just fade away like driftwood in the river. Mary kept these things. She grabbed hold of them. She treasured them. She preserved them. And she pondered them. You see, if you, if you grab hold of something, if you remember it, you can, you can think on it. You can mull it over. You can meditate on it. You can ponder it. And the word for ponder means to, to bind together. To make connections. Have you ever known information for a really long time, but never put it together? And one day you're thinking about it and you go, oh, I don't know why that never occurred to me before. Or maybe you're telling a friend the information you've known for years and it coming out of your mouth, suddenly some of it connects. This happens all the time in movies, right? There's someone who's trying to figure something out. They're trying to solve some mystery. And what they do in the movie is like the person spills some coffee and they're cleaning it up and then they find this clue that they've neglected that that was right there in front of their face the whole time. But now they look at it in a different light and suddenly it all makes sense. Jesus is the one who makes it all make sense. He's the one that the longer we ponder him, the more we see that he connects and transforms everything. Everything. Jesus is the detail that brings it all together. He's the light that lights all of our lives. You know, there's some other lyrics in that song I was quoting earlier. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old, familiar carols play. And mild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I thought how, as the day had come, The belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, it strikes me that light just keeps traveling through the darkness, through the ages. Tonight, you go out and you look up at the stars and you'll be seeing light that's been traveling toward you for ages. It's so far away that that light had to travel and travel and travel for years. And the time that it's taken that light to travel from that star, people have died and new generations have come, and that light just kept on traveling. It kept on shining. It kept on making its way at light speed to you. I'm reminded of a story that Rob Morgan 
He's a Free Baptist pastor out of Nashville. He, he told years ago, he said in 1517, Martin Luther sparked the Reformation. A hundred years later, in the 1600s, Lutherism itself needed a revival. And so up came this educator named Philip Spencer, and he encouraged people to return to God's Word and to study it. And people thought he was crazy, that that was a little overboard to read your Bible. They called it pietism. But he wanted people to start each day by reading Scripture. He was often criticized, often discouraged. He was calling people to ponder. One day he met a guy named August Frank, and Frank was this struggling young man, and so Spencer discipled him and mentored him. Frank's life was transformed. And so in the city of Howe, he established an orphanage to be a light to the orphans in that city. Go forward another hundred years. There's a young man named George Mueller, and he goes to study at the university in the city of Howe. And while he's there, he spends two months working in the orphanage that Frank had started a hundred years before. George Mueller is so moved by the work he sees being done in this orphanage that he decides he will start his own orphanages. And George Mueller has all of these books written about his life, about how he was a man of prayer, how God met all of these needs in these orphanages. A couple of hundred years later, Rob Morgan's daughter reads these biographies of George Mueller's life, and she's moved by the stories of these orphanages, and she and her husband decide that they will adopt. And so they adopt two children. And the day comes that these children, who they have adopted, who have been living with them, that they will officially be made part of the family. And so they're explaining to these children that they're adopting that your name is going to change, and the, they adopt a son and a daughter, and the daughter says... I understand that my last name will change, but I want to change my first name too. I want to be called a hope. And Morgan says, here, 400 years later, there's a little girl who joins a family and is called a hope. And becomes grandchild number 16 in my family. Because the light continued to travel. Reflected in the hearts and lives of people. All the way down through the generations. And that light continues to reflect down the hallways of churches and homes and in the lives of people who were transformed, that light that Isaiah looked forward to, that light that Isaiah prophesied of, that light that arrived and was lit in a little stall manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, it doesn't matter how dark it is, that light doesn't go out. It continues to travel. And it continues to bring new hope, new hearts, into the family of God. And this morning, no matter how dark it is, no matter how hard it is, 
that light has not gone out. And we celebrate the hope that it brings. Because Jesus, Jesus has come so that we might be restored and forgiven of our sins and freed from our brokenness through His sacrifice on the cross for us. Each one of us can be adopted into the family of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.